British American tobacco is poised for growth and has high free cash flow. And we think if you buy the stock today and held it for a decade, you could make 22% on your money every single year for the next decade. And in this video, I'm going to break down the assumption behind that. You ready? Let's get to work. Hello, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you for watching the channel and subscribing and listening to the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. This week up, we're going to take a look at British American Tobacco, the largest tobacco company in the world. They do 27 billion dollars of, excuse me, 27 billion euro annually in revenue. That's roughly 33 billion dollars, and they have incredibly high free cash flow because the stock price is very low. Nobody wants to buy tobacco companies, apparently. Well, we're going to figure out if we can buy the stock today. Does that mean that in a simple assumption we can outperform the market? Let's dive into the detail and figure out how much hard cash money, how much jack this company makes and is it worth to buy. Now we're going to review this stock like we do with all stocks on this channel. We use five key attributes to figure out if it's worth a deeper dive in due diligence, in which case you need to go read the 10Ks and really dive into the detail before we make any investments. Now our five key attributes are as follows. We want a company with top line revenue growth, we want earnings growing, enterprise level earnings at the EBITDA level you want to be growing. You want strong free cash flow. You want a company with low debt and you want something that's well priced. Now, what is a well-priced stock? Well, it's kind of a magic number. We want a company with a conservative growth forecast for the next decade that's priced today such that that growth will beat the market. That's what we're trying to do. Find stocks that are quality, produce cash, have low debt, and are growing, and buy them at attractive prices so we think over the time we'll beat the market. And we think that British American Tobacco is one of those candidates right now at this moment. And David has done a phenomenal job in the cash flow club of releasing his analysis. We're going to run through exactly what's put out and why this is a very attractive stock for this period of time. Now let's jump into the very first detail here. We've got a couple highlights from their 10, 10K or the, um, the, the regulatory filing that this company makes every single year for the annual results. You can find it at the website, go to British American Tobacco, go to Investor Relations and download this material and read through it for any investment that you make. But they basically have two sections here, right? They have the classic, classic cigarettes, which are declining. That is here, cigarettes. They'd sold 650 million cigarettes, billion cigarettes, excuse me. Uh, that's down 5% year over year. But what's growing is all the kind of vaping and um, uh, uh, heated tobacco products that, uh, that, that uh, have, have kind of changed the landscape of uh, cigarettes and tobacco uh, over the last, what, decade or so. Uh, and that section is growing. And what you can see... And then what they, what they point out in their highlights is this is the new consumer product section that they're trying to sell into. The non-combustible products by 2023 is expected to grow at a 30% annual CAGR. And they're looking at 22, 22 million, 22 and a half million customers uh, today. And it's going to continue growing out into the future. They think this market... Uh, is going to generate 20, 3 billion euro of revenue for them today, and it's going to continue to grow to a 5 billion euro by 2025. Now, one thing I do want to point out here, when you're reading uh, investor relations material, right? Investor relations material is designed to uh, sell the public on why they should invest in the, in the company. So you always want to take it for a little grain of salt. And one way to smell check this stuff is to take the new venture revenue that people generally like to, um, like to tout the, uh, 
the 3 billion going to 5 billion euro of revenue and smell check that against their total revenue already because this looks very attractive. Look like a nice hockey stick going up, right? So if we just scroll up and check, check it, how much revenue they produced last year, revenue in millions of pounds, they did 27.6 billion euro in revenue. You look at that compared to the 2.9 billion euro of the um, of this new category, we're talking what that's 10% of the um, of the the company's revenue. So while that while it's growing fast, yes, is it material to change the slope of the company? Is it going to change the 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 growth rate of the company to be 33% as a whole? No, it's not. It is going to grow. It's going to get bigger, but as a whole, it's a small segment of the overall company. So when you look at the business, it's great to have growth. It's great to have this, but you need to put it in context that there's still a cigarette company and that cigarette business is declining. So perhaps on the totality, you're going to have a very, very low growth company over time. That's what we're saying. We're saying we're thinking that you you can get maybe one percent revenue growth out of this business over a long period of time from the combination of kind of declining traditional cigarettes and letting this the, these new products begin, continue to scale and get bigger and more pronounced and, and, and a greater percentage of the total revenue of the company. Okay, let's dive through a couple charts we want to pull out and then we want to dig into the financials and like historically, what does this business produce? Does it make cash flow and so forth? Uh, I do want to zoom out and just show you uh, this is uh, this is almost 50 years, excuse me, 40 years of um, uh, stock return, 1981. Uh, nice steady growth for a long, long period of time. Seems to accelerate over time with a peak. Uh, at that uh, that vaping bubble that we had not too long ago, that seems to have popped, and that's why we think it's an interesting value opportunity because the mul the market multiple has contracted as a result of this, uh, and yet they still have the new products that are continuing to grow. If we move forward a little bit, year to date, 2002 return, you can see during the price decline of the market, this stock held up. Um, it was already fairly cheap going into 2022. The market declined. This one had high free cash flow, low debt. A lot of people put money into the stock to help buoy it and keep it up above the market as it separates out. That's kind of a def that's a very defensive company, and perhaps that is a is a is a warranted piece in your portfolio to help balance out that risk return profile. Uh, year to date, it's underperformed as the stock market has come back. This stock has underperformed uh, as a result of just being a generally defensive play. Here's our forecast uh, for the for the uh, business for revenue. So we're we're watching historical revenues, right? Peaked, and it's come down, still growing a little bit. Decline last couple years, but we think over the long term, if you could eke out one percent of revenue for this business over long term, what does it produce in cash flow? All right, so let's dive into the cash flow one pager for British American Tobacco. Let's figure out how much revenue EBITDA, let's check the five key factors and figure out what this stock is truly doing. So we've got revenue off of the side here. What we do with these one pagers, and I highly recommend you visit our website, cashflowinvestingpro.com, where we release one pagers on the stocks that we cover every single month. And we track those stocks and we give you 10 years of history so you can get some context of what you're looking at and get past this one quarter release next quarter. I mean, who cares? You're buying stock. You should be buying the stock for 10, 20, and 30 years. One quarter's results is meaningless. Realistically, in the long term, you want to look at companies over a long, long period of time. A, that helps smooth out accounting irregularities or management's choice of how they book costs. It's very hard to hide that 
over many, many years. And then two, you get a, a result of the pattern or how the business can handle economic shocks over time by looking at that data. It helps give hopefully some assurance about the future. So revenue, and these are on dollars, by the way, uh, millions, we've converted them. So 2013, $25 billion of revenue uh, has grown uh, kind of weekly. Let's just be honest, it's a week 3% growth over this period of time to $33.4 billion of revenue. That's a 3% annual growth rate over the last decade, which I think would surprise people had you said, hey, this company's going to grow revenue over the next decade, a decade ago. Uh, I doubt people would have looked at a cigarette company and say, you're going to grow revenue uh, if, you're, if your main product is, uh, is declining in volume. So I thought that it's, that's a very interesting um, realization that they're able to do that. Earnings. Earnings have also grown. Shocker of all shockers there, 4% annual growth rate. So their margin has improved. If, revenue, if earnings are growing faster than revenue, then your margins is growing, margin is growing. $10 billion of EBITDA. It did drop in 2016. They had to make some mergers and go after some businesses, but overall the business was able to grow EBITDA to uh, $14.7 billion last fiscal year. Uh, and, uh, and that's a 4% annual growth rate over time. Debt has moved up as uh, a little bit more than, than revenue. $19.5 billion in 2013 to $52 billion last year. They don't have a tremendous amount of excess cash, so we're going to move that. Market cap, shares outstanding times price. We get a market cap of just shy of $100 billion in 2013. It's actually declined uh, to $93 billion uh, last fiscal year. So this is really interesting. You've got a company that's growing revenue, growing earnings, and a declining uh, uh, market cap. Enterprise value, add debt, less cash, plus market cap, you get enterprise value. Again, enterprise value is the true value of a company. What trades in the stock market that you see every day is just this, this value here, the, the market cap. And it ignores all the debt and all the excess cash that's on the balance sheet. And you want to absolutely make sure you're looking at enterprise value. It is the one true value of a business. I love to give the exact example of a house. If you buy a house in the open market, you are paying the enterprise value for that house. You go to the bank, you get a mortgage, you put a mortgage in the house and your down payment, your equity piece is the market cap. That's this column. So if you're looking at the stock market and you're just looking at the price of the equity that's trading every day, you're ignoring the mortgage payment that's due if you want to buy that house outright. That's why it's imperative. You absolutely need to be looking at enterprise value when you look at stocks. Then what we can do with enterprise value is there's two metrics that I like to use. There's lots of them, but I like to specifically one, a relative value metric, enterprise value to EBITDA, that's taking the entire value of the business, dividing it by its annual earnings. You get a multiple of earnings. How many years does this business have to operate to essentially repay itself? It's a theoretical number, but it's a, but it's a nice value check on how much uh, future earnings you need before you get your money back. And number two, debt to EBITDA. This is just taking how much leverage is on the, on, the, on, the, on the company, total debt, divide by EBITDA. How many years do you have to operate to be debt-free? That's the idea. And we want to see something that's less than three times. You can see this is currently at 3.5 times debt to EBITDA, which is on the high side. It used to be two. A decade ago, it was 1.9 times. Now it's three times. And that happened because debt has grown faster than EBITDA. EBITDA has grown 4%. Debt has gone at 12%. So this business has deteriorated slightly in its financial leverage capacity. And it's now past our number of three, uh, just slightly. 
And this number is going to fluctuate a little bit depending on earnings. So it can bounce a little bit above, a little bit below. But in general, you want a company that has as low debt as possible. Enterprise value to EBITDA. This one's interesting. So this you can see the stock traded as high as 20 times earning during the vape bubble, which is incredibly high to think for buying a cigarette company. Um, and that, that multiple has come way, way down to below 10 times EBITDA, which seems relatively cheap for a company that produces such uh, high revenue, high margins, strong free cash flow. It's kind of interesting. So 10 times multiple, the company is uh, trading, has three and a half times debt on it. It's growing revenue at 3% annually and it's growing earnings at 4% annually. Not too bad. Let's check free cash flow. So free cash flow is right up here. Free cash flow to operations. That's the first third of the balance, uh, the cash flow statement. Remember, you have cash flow from operations, cash flow from investing, and cash flow from financing. Uh, those three statements show you the change in the balance sheet over time. And two, the two statements, income statement and cash flow statement, are measured over time. You get a quarterly number, that's three months, you get six months, you get a full year, whereas a balance sheet is measured at a point in time. You say, hey, balance sheet last quarter or fiscal year end balance sheet. And what the cash flow statement does is it bridges the overtime statement that is the cash that is the income statement with the point in time statement on the balance sheet. The cash flow statement helps you bridge that. And it's very important that you look at this. So cash flow has actually grown at 6% annually over time, faster than EBITDA, which is nice. But it's more important that they're growing at the same direction. You want to be cautious. If you see a company that is growing EBITDA and, and free cash flow is going down, that could be an accounting problem and you want to stay away from a company like that. You've got $7 billion, $7 billion of adjusted free cash flow in 2013. And it's been a rocky ride. It came down to 5.6, then kind of bounced back up 6.8, down to 5.5, up to 7, up to 13, down to 11.7, up to 13.2, down to 13 and down to 12.4. So it is definitely, definitely a rocky ride. And that is such of the life of being in business. Nothing is as straight as your forecast is ever going to be. And you must be willing to ride all of your stock investments for multiple years of outperformance, underperformance. That's just the name of the game. This has grown at 6% annually. If I look at CapEx, how much do they have to put back into their factories, their farms to grow the tobacco, their R&D that they're going to invest into, well, R&D is expensive, but if they're going to build out a facility to, uh, to, to build the smokeless tobacco canisters, that stuff is the CapEx that they have to put back in. So if you imagine with me, uh, at the end of the year, end of 2022, it's December 2022, they have $12.4 billion of jack that sits on the table that they produced by selling their cigarettes and their products. This is hard cash currency. And what I like about it is it can be verified by third parties like their bank. When you get audited, if E&Y is your auditor, for example, they'll pick up the phone and they're saying, hey, uh, JP Morgan, hypothetically, I don't know where they, where they bank, but it could be JP Morgan. Uh, you know, we're the auditors for British American Tobacco. Uh, they're telling us that they had last year um, $12.4 billion of free cash flow. Tell me what the cash balance was at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year. They're going to look at the income statement and they're going to check all those numbers and say, you know what? I agree that you actually produced that much cash and it's sitting on your balance sheet. That's why I like it because it's hard currency and it can be verified. Next, what happens is the board of directors says, hey, well, I made $12.4 billion. What do you want to do with it? Well, we need to put a little bit back in the factory. 
know, upgrade the farms, new ERP system, new, uh, you know, systems and laptops or, uh, you know, things build out a little factory line, maybe improve the conveyor belts to move the tobacco a little faster, what have you. That cost them in total $632 million. So they made $12.4 billion and they put back $632 million. That means this difference is what, $11.8 billion of jack that's left over after they've reinvested the money back in the business. Now what do they have to do? What do they pay? They have to pay down debt. They chose not to pay down any debt. Their debt number, as we said here, is 3.5, which is slightly high. I would like them to pay it down a little bit, but they don't have to. It's very, very close. And they make so much money here that they're able to afford those payments. I'm not really worried about it. So now we have a company that has made $11.8 billion of jack, and there's no obligation on that money. There's nothing holding it back. It could be, it could be lit on fire. God forbid. Please don't do it. But in theory, it could be lit on fire. And... Uh, and, and the business itself would have no impact. It's one year of cash, free cash that's produced. And that's why it's called free cash flow because it's the holy grail. It can be absolutely distributed, destroyed, what have you, because it's not, it's not going to impact the future earnings of the business. So $11.8 billion of cash, which has grown, by the way, at 5% annually over the last decade, if I look at all these free cash flow numbers. Shares outstanding, $2.2 billion. Slight increase. I'd like to see them be buying back shares. I, I think that's, uh, that's something they should be doing. But I take the free cash flow, divide by the share, and I get a cash flow that you and I can buy when you buy the stock in the open market. That number is $5.22. So that number, $5.22, is my pro rata share of the company's total free cash flow. And if I look at how much the stock trade at the end of the fiscal year was $41, divide these two, I get a 12.7 free cash flow yield. Now, what that means is you have a business that you're buying into that is growing revenue, growing earnings, has okay debt, not perfect, uh, but is producing double digit free cash flow every single year, these cash flow numbers, yes, they move up and down, but they don't go negative. Every year this business is profitable and every year is making free cash flow and it kind of bumps along over year, spitting out double digit free cash flow for the last three years. Now, what do they do with that, that cash flow? Well, you can dividend it out, which they do. They pay a healthy dividend. You can buy back shares, which I would expect they would start to do. You can make acquisitions, which they've done in the past to help boost this EBITDA. Or you can let it sit on the balance sheet, in which case it sits here, the excess cash flow, and we would account for it. So those are the four things you can do with the free cash flow. And you're buying an enterprise or pro rata ownership of a business that generates that free cash flow. And that's the holy grail. That is, the, that is why you buy and equity or why you buy a stock because you work very, very hard for your money. It is your time that you are using to generate income that you earn and you save. That savings represents years of your life that you have worked, toiled to save. So you want to put that money to, to work in a company that is going to grow your earnings for you and is going to be respectful and courteous of your investment and treat you like a partner, not some sort of blatant a run-of-the-mill source of cash that could be thrown away because they can't produce money a la Uber, uh, you know, one of those um, the Carvana of the worlds that just treat stockholders as sources of capital and don't actually respect the partnership that they are engaging in. 
And in this company, it's interesting that they were able to produce 12 and a half double digit um, free cash flow. And over time, that free cash flow will add up and hopefully, hopefully um, produce a greater amount of reward of, of both stockholder value and dividend over the long period of time. That's the principle of investing in general in equities. If you don't like that, you can't handle the volatility here, then go buy a bond, cash, what have you. But this is essentially what an equity investment is. You are buying a partnership in a business. You just don't have the control or the influence because the company is so big. So now, if we skip down to the next section of the cash flow one pager, the cash flow one pager has forecasts in it. So here we go. Here's an EBITDA forecast and a free cash flow per share forecast. So we're going to say we think a combination of declining cigarettes and, and growing um, non-cigarette uh, products will allow this business to, over time, squeak out a 1% growth in EBITDA. Now, remember, it grew four times, 4% last 10 years, 6% of free cash flow, excuse me, operating cash flow. So all I need here is 1% on this business. I'm going to, I'm going to egg. So that's going to produce a, from a, from a $14 billion EBITDA, it's going to grow to 16.2. So what I need is I need this business to be $16.2 billion of EBITDA or higher and an eight and a half times EBITDA market multiple, which is less than, by the way, less than it's ever traded for in history. So, well, 8.4 right there last year is a low point. But this is giving me cushion. I need 1% growth in earnings, and I need, I need a market multiple, which is lower than it's been in the last decade. That seems pretty conservative in my book. I got my debt, I, I subtract my debt, and I get a market cap of $86 billion, which is actually notably less than market cap it was 10 years ago. So this is saying, hey, I'm going to grow earnings, but the market is not going to respect those earnings. So the total value of the business on a market cap basis is going to shrink. That gives me, if I divide by the shares outstanding, I get a $38 price target um, out uh, 10 years from now. I do the same thing for free cash flow. I got five point. $5.27 of cash flow. It's going to grow to $5.76. Not much growth at all. I'm going to apply a 15% yield on the cash flow yield, which is a very high yield. That means the stock price is going to be lower. Remember, it was yielding 12% at the end of that last fiscal year. I'm acquiring it to yield even higher, which means the stock price is going to fall relative to last year's ending December. That means I get a $38 target. I average these two and I say, okay, I'm going to get roughly $38 for this stock out 10 years. I'm going to buy it. What's the market price? 32 bucks. So for $32, I can buy a pro rata share of a business that's producing roughly $5.27 and it's going to grow to $5.77 over the next decade. I'm going to sell that business for 38 bucks, roughly what I paid for it, slight growth. What is that IRR? Well, that IRR is 22% every single year mostly on the back of this phenomenal double-digit free cash flow yield that's kicked out. Now, the business has to, has to A, dividend that money to you. Uh, you need to be able to reinvest that money. B, they need to be, the money they retain, they need to be smart with it. Do acquisitions, buy back shares, be productive with the cash, not just let it sit on the balance sheet. Uh, and then, th in theory, that's going to produce it. So, what we're judging here is we're judging the business on the forecast, how conservative or risky, how likely is the forecast? And if they hit the forecast, what's the outcome that we get? That's your risk reward trade-off. And that's what you, the equity investor, whose money it is that you will be investing, need to go through, read the 10Ks, 
smell check this, this forecast, make your own assumptions, do your own due diligence, and then come to your own conclusion that says, hey, I don't need this money for X period of time. I think fundamentally this stock is going to continue to grow a la 1% over the next decade. And, uh, and I'm willing to run the risk that I have, I go upside down for a period of time. And yeah, I think it's an interesting investment. And then if that's the case, what's the return? Well, the return in this instance is estimated at 22% every single year over that period of time. It's an IRR. Then you're saying, am I being compensated enough for that risk? Well, I could buy a treasury bond right now for three, four, 5% corporate bonds, about the same. So that's zero growth. Um, zero principal growth, I have inflation to deal with, and I'm getting 5% on a risk-free basis, maybe 4% on a risk-free basis. I could buy the S&P 500 and maybe get 10% on average over a decade for the S&P. Okay, but I have things like, you know, Tesla in there, Apple, I mean, the S&P 500 is driven by maybe five or six stocks. Uh, so that just means I'm super tech-weighted if I buy that, um, the SPY. Or, as a complete um, you know, alternative, buy a tobacco company, I need 1% growth and I can get 22% of my money. So this, I think it's a very interesting risk return trade-off. Uh, let's review the five key factors. Number one, top line revenue growth. Yes, check the box. Number two, EBITDA growth. Yeah, it's growing, check that box. Number three, free cash flow. Yes, it's strong and growing. Number four, low debt. No, don't check the low debt box because it does breach the three times limit. Number five, well-priced. Absolutely, I think this stock is well-priced if it's producing 20% estimated 20% IRR. Uh, so what rating do we want to give this? We're going to give this stock here at the channel a good rating with the notable exception that the debt is slightly higher than we would like, a uh, 0.5 uh, turn of EBITDA slightly higher. Uh, but overall, I think this is a very interesting stock, and certainly the the the, the IRR 22% warrants an extra look at this stock. If I come down to the very bottom here, you've got a distribution uh, curve. So if you're watching this video six months from now, this who knows where the stock's going to be? You're like, hey, I like this, I like this stock, but the stock price has moved. <clears throat> Zoom in over here. If you it's $32 right now, you've got 22% IRR. If the assumptions hold, nothing changes here, but the stock price moves. The stock price goes up over 40, I'm not a buyer, right? Growth is too small, it doesn't work. The stock is 32 or less, I think it's very, very attractive. This stock falls down below, below $30 a share, it's a 25% IRR stock, which is an incredible buy. Uh, so take a look at this company, let me know what you think. Throw a comment down below, hit a like if you can, uh, share on social media, it always helps out the channel, really appreciate that, and the old algorithm at Google, uh, any comments, welcome. My name is Cameron Stewart. This is Rational Investing. If you like this type of analysis, I strongly encourage you to check out my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com. I do teach a course. It's a very easy course, but your basic financial analysis course. Uh, my primary job is I'm a CFO for companies. Uh, I do this channel just for fun, and I love teaching finance to people. And so I built a course that I price extremely cheaply, and it's an intro into in financial investing, and I teach you how to be an analyst. We go through Apple's 10Ks, 10 years of them. I show you how to find revenue, how to calculate EBITDA, how to calculate debt, what to do with cash flow. Apple stock is split multiple times. How do you adjust split to get a just split adjusted pricing? And we walk through what is an appropriate market multiple, cash flow yield for Apple, and how to build a forecast around the stock. So if you like that kind of work, 
check out the course. If you don't want to work but just want interesting data, join the Cashflow Club. And you will be in this with us as we publish more routines and you will get stocks such as one pages like this. Uh, this one's Restaurant Brands International, very interesting stock. And it, um, it, it we, we really we cover over 100 stocks online. We have lots of analysts. If you want to join the analyst program, you can email me as well. Last thing, please down below, you there's, there's a link to get a free one-pager if you want to see what one of these looks like in person. Sign up for the email club. I'll send you a free one-pager. My name is Cameron Stewart. This is Rational Investing, uh, where we look for ca free cash flow. We try to buy companies that are well-priced, with low debt, growing revenue, growing EBITDA, and of course, growing free cash flow. Thank you very much for the time. Have a great day. Bye-bye.